What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Boston Celtics select Jason Tatum from Duke University. Round of the break for the Celtics. Goes around the world. Oh, the circus game in a Boston. Walker for three. Kemba Walker from downtown. Tatum drives down. Let's roll it down. Wow. Rebound. Gordon Hayward for two. Gordon Hayward with a corner crash. No blockout. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Tom Westerholm, Celtics beat writer for MassLive.com. I'm joined by Nicole Yang of the Boston Globe. Nicole, how are you doing? Pretty good, Tom. No complaints here. What about you? Well, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm very proud of you because you've been blackpilled. Um, yes, been- so I guess I buried the lead here that I binged watched the Netflix docuseries on Jeffrey Epstein and then proceeded to spend a few hours in the Reddit thread, uh, started the Discovery series on him, and then texted Tom a bunch of questions. <laughs> At some point, like I think our crossover with Weird Celtics Twitter and the fact that our former close personal friend Terry Rozier tweeted about this i I, th- I think we could do a jeffrey epstein episode at some point that will not be now uh over the weekends i believe i think it was on friday um Whit grossbeck uh celtics owner released a couple of statements kind of outlining like hey if anybody if anybody was wondering we believe that black lives matter he talks about how he's talked to jalen brown a bunch it sounds like and sort of listened to jalen and just kind of let jalen educate him what did you take away just from you know some of the statements that were released over the last few days here Yeah, so it looks like Wick did a little media tour on Friday and into the weekend, starting with this video, pretty short clip that he posted via the Celtics Twitter account. And then he did a few interviews with Felger and Maz, basically radio, TV, and then he talked to the Globe. And so when I just saw the video, I was like, okay, this is expected. It's a good look. Obviously, not every organization is having their owner release a video, let alone a statement. So it's obviously a good look for him to show his face, come on the record, and sort of just acknowledge what's going on, especially given how active the players have been. But then in Gary Washburn's story on the Globe, he sort of elaborated on why he felt like he needed to. And that's sort of where I really appreciated what he was doing. Like, I think the statement is fairly easy. Like, Wick is a very educated guy. Like, he obviously knows what's going on. And he's familiar with PR and, like, what he should and should not be doing. Um, And you could say the same, I guess, about James Dolan, but like at least Wick, he has a good grasp of things. I wasn't surprised that he issued a statement, but it was his actual reasoning as to why he issued the statement that I appreciated and that he said that he hasn't really been able to sleep and he hadn't really done enough since 2016 and that he thought that things were sort of better than, than they were. And I feel like that's an important acknowledgement because I think a lot of people would agree with that is that they just didn't know and sort of some people haven't really acknowledged their ignorance yet or their sort of position in that 
they haven't done anything actively racist. You know what I mean? They haven't done anything to actively hold black people back or to hold people of color back, but they just haven't really done anything that pushes the movement forward. They just haven't done enough to create change. So I appreciated that he acknowledged that. And I think that we see the Patriots, Robert Kraft is donating a million dollars in monthly $100,000 donations to local grassroots organizations that are dedicated to fighting systemic racism and fighting for equality and things like that. And then in addition to that, um, Robert Kraft is going to have the executives or the leadership of that organization speak at events like craft events and come to Patriots related things. So I'm wondering if the Celtics will follow suit, but I think that's sort of the next thing that you're waiting for. It's like, we've said all the right things. Now, where's the action? Exactly. And to, and to me, that's like you said, I, I think it's a good thing that, that he addressed that because he specifically said, like, I haven't really done anything. And I, I hope it's interesting to hear somebody say, I haven't really done anything. And then sort of lay out like, we want to, you know, we want to end racism. We want to do all this stuff. And then it's like, okay, so what are the actions? And, you know, and obviously it's extremely early stages and, and I'm not certainly not criticizing Wick for not having taken them at this point, but it is, it, it, that, that is always kind of the tough thing. Cause it's like, I want to take action. I want to do the right thing. And this is hard for everybody. It's hard to figure out exactly what you should be doing because this has been going on for decades and decades. This is systemic. It's hard to change. It's hard to, to do this stuff. And we all you know need to. And I've often kind of thought to myself that one of the best ways to approach change is to, is to find specifics. Like one of the things that is bad and one of the areas where systemic racism is so prevalent and so damaging is in police brutality. And so they are protesting police brutality and they are going to try to like, I just think that there needs to be a lot of that. Like, I don't, I don't know that like Wick needs to be the end police brutality guy, but like, I think that that's a great way to fight this kind of thing is to find the specific thing that you are going to try to eradicate. It feels so overwhelming because it's such a big picture thing. But if you just say like, okay, you know what? Police brutality has been going on for so long. Or you know what? Housing discrimination has been going on for so long. And and like, if you can find like specific things, I think that makes a big difference. Right. And I think police brutality is an easy place to start because they're literally killing people. Like this is a matter of life and death. And other areas like education, housing, those are then contributing to certain segments of the population living just in their sort of like track and they're unable to move up. So I think police brutality is an easy place to start. And it's also an easy way to raise awareness. I feel like on Twitter, every time I log on, I see a new video of a cop just acting out. It's sort of hard to capture education and like the inequalities there in like one video, really. Um, That's that powerful. But I agree with you. I mean, I think I have faith in Wick Grossback and the rest of the Celtics leadership team that they'll come up with something. I think Mm -hmm. something I'm surprised that they, I mean, I guess it's not the best look right now to be like, look what we were doing back in this year. But I am surprised that they haven't mentioned that the Celtics did develop something called the Playbook Initiative in the 2017 to 2018 season. And that was after conversations with Jalen Brown, Amir Johnson, I think Isaiah Thomas, now Horford. And they developed this little playbook that is supposed to have ways that kids can um, not be a bystander in conversations where somebody might make a racist comment. And so Mm. I was looking at the playbook the other day because I sort of wanted to see what they were, um, what some of the examples were. And basically it just lays out a situation like one of them was 
um, you're on the bus and somebody calls your friend an Oreo because he's black on the outside, but white on the inside. Like, what do you do? And then it lays out like different things you could do. And they talk about why that's wrong. And it has a list of discussion questions as to um, how you can approach the situation and also helping them understand why that's not okay. And so every year they do like a playbook initiative thing and three members of the roster meet with a school and they sort of just go through the different situations, the scenarios, and they'll talk through them as to like why it was wrong, what they can do in the future, and just something like a realistic thing that they could say. Because I think that's the hardest part is like just speaking up. That is something that the Celtics have been doing. And I think that that's a good example of something that they can continue to do of just raising awareness and also hopefully equipping them with tools that can help them in the future. Yeah. No, that's really cool, actually. I, I like that. And, and I mean, I think it's it's cool that they're making it very specific because when you when you make examples like that too general, like, oh, what do you do if your friend is being racist? Well, tell them right. don't be racist. But when it's like, here's like something that you might actually hear on the bus, I feel like that is a lot more helpful. That's really cool. Brad also issued a video statement. So he spoke to reporters and then he went on like the social media channels and posted a video. And a lot of the players reposted Brad's statement. And I feel like that was a good sign. They didn't have to do that, obviously. And I feel like it shows that they appreciated it. I talked to Javante Green last week and I asked him about Brad's statement. And his quote to me was, everybody's not in the same boat, but coming from Coach Brad, it means a lot because of he's a very genuine guy. I feel yeah. like everything he says, he means that came through from him. It was some kind words and I really appreciated the words that he sent. And that seems to be the consensus from the players just based on their social media activity they didn't have to repost it and they did. So even though it's so easy for people to issue statements, I'm glad that Brad's authenticity is coming through. Definitely. And I think that speaks to what we were saying the other day where it was like, Brad is a thoughtful guy who has definitely thought about this before. It's good to see that the things that Brad has said have resonated. And I think that speaks to just Brad's work leading up to this moment, because yeah. I think it shows that he's gained their respect throughout however long they've played for Brad. I think that's a good point. You know, obviously, I, I really enjoyed um, your Javante story. I thought it was really good. It was nice to get sort of a different perspective on who he is. What were some of the biggest things that you felt like you learned from talking to Javante in that story? Yeah, so going into that story, I basically was thinking about how many Celtics are parents. So Javante is one of them, and I think he has an interesting story regarding being a father like leading up to this moment and that he spent four seasons overseas before he got this contract with the Celtics so this is really the first extended period of time he's had with both of his kids in the states so we talked a little bit about um, what he's been doing with his kids and it's great to hear like oh he taught his daughter how to do a one-handed cartwheel he learned how to do a ponytail like they're dancing the TikToks it's really nice out in Virginia where they're from so they're outside a lot I think what resonated with me is like, okay, then he also have to introduce your kid to things that like eight-year-olds shouldn't have to worry about. I mean, nobody right. should have to worry about it, but like when you're eight years old, it's like, how do you understand, okay, like people don't like me for the color of my skin or because I'm this race. And then it's like, it's not your fault though. There's nothing you can do about it. You know, like yes. it's, it's so hard to grasp that when you're that age. It was interesting to hear Javante's perspective too, because he was like, I want them to understand what's going on, but at the same time, I don't want them to have to worry about that stuff. 
So it's like, how do you educate your children about something that's really important about something that's going to affect their lives? But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to introduce my children to this thing because it's negative. Like it's not a positive development. So I think that's, I'm sure like a dilemma that a lot of black parents, parents of color have is just like, okay, when is the like right time to sort of talk to them about this? It was also interesting because he was like, okay, like I want to protect them, but it's like, you look at what's going on in the world and like, how do I even do that? Yeah. Every parent, no matter how old their kids are, their goal is to like protect their kids and to give their kids a better life. Or I shouldn't say every parent, like a lot of parents, that's their mission. And it's like, how do you protect your kid against a threat that has been accepted and ingrained in society for centuries? Like, what can you do? You feel so helpless. It puts a lot of things in perspective. Yeah, I mean, it's like this is and this is something obviously I would never equate the type of conversations that I'm going to have, you know, with my son, with the types that, you know, Javante has to have with, with his daughters. But it is something that like a moment like this really hammers home for you, you know, even as as a white parent, like you have to think to yourself, like, okay, how am I going to make sure that like, you know, my son isn't racist? How am I going to teach him the right things? But then too, like you said, racism isn't, it's taught, but it's not, I don't think it's always like explicitly taught through words. I think it can be taught through actions too. So like, it's like a really important way to like sort of check yourself too. Like, okay, is there anything that I'm doing that could like make him think the wrong thing? Like I really have to like look inwardly too. And I think that's, that's an important thing to do. Even the youngest of people are starting to be aware of what's going on, which is good. Definitely. Definitely. Okay, guys, we'll leave it there. Uh, Make sure you give Nicole's story a read on the Boston Globe. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the NBA's return. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7, or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And live right now on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you'll find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling The Final Dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. All right, so Nicole, the NBA is coming back. Like, I think it's like official official now, right? Like, like barring like coronavirus, you know, related setbacks. But it sounds like the players approved it. The Board of Governors approved it. Now it just comes down to specifics and how they're going to keep everybody safe and that kind of thing. Any initial thoughts on just the the rollout that the NBA did in terms of getting everybody back online here? Yeah, it's kind of funny. So it was approved, the 22-team plan, the eight regular season games, and then Eastern Conference, Western Conference playoffs, traditional seven-game series. Then there's a play-in tournament for the eighth spot if the eighth seed doesn't have four games up. But it's pretty standard, like it's as close to the traditional format as possible, other than like it's at a neutral site. I get why it's being released to the public in this way, and I'm sure this isn't reflective of their actual planning process, but I do think it's kind of funny that they're like, all right, the NBA is coming back, here's the official plan, okay, now health. You know what I mean? Like, now how do we make it possible that everyone stay healthy, as opposed to like, okay, can everyone stay healthy? Like, is this 
a viable option and then announcing it, but they're doing it in the reverse of like establishing the plan and then yeah. being like, okay, how will we keep everyone healthy? But yeah. according to the plan, players are going to arrive July 7th. Um, so they have about a month to figure things out, which it's so hard to say, but at least in Massachusetts, the virus does seem to be under control. Like we're going to start phase two of the reopening on Monday for better or for worse. So it does seem to be in a better spot for sure. It's just so hard to tell what the threat is when you're with the large group of people and things like that. I think we should take two minutes here one more time to talk about this because like, I feel like I've been very annoying on this podcast about my concerns about it. I still am very concerned about them coming back. They're not going to like put a tracker on players or something like that, but they are like telling guys like, Hey, you're going to be in this bubble. You're going to have all this space. You're not going to be like locked in your hotel room, but like you can't leave. You know, if your family comes, they're going to have to quarantine and then they can't leave. Like I think that that's really important. If like there were just guys running around Orlando, you know, I would have like real concerns about uh, another outbreak. Hopefully players and and coaches and and everybody else who's going to be in that bubble, uh, hopefully they all take it seriously enough. I think that it's somewhat concerning that we're finding out that Florida's numbers are still going up. So we'll see what happens. But until it becomes news again, this will be the last time that I express my concerns about the NBA restarting in this way. It, It is very funny that they have rolled it out this way. It does sound like Adam Silver has done a lot of talking to health experts and to just kind of like trying to find the best way to do this. And this seems to be sort of the happy medium. So something else from my Javante Green conversation that I didn't include in the story was that I asked him about how he feels about the league coming back. Well, so first two things. One, for those that are aware that Javante can solve a Rubik's Cube, his Rubik's Cube was like literally, like we were doing a video chat, was literally in like arm's reach of where he was sitting. He just grabbed it and like showed it to me and it was done. So Javante still on that Rubik's Cube grind. I'm glad so we asked, got there. <laughs> two, he said, somebody's going to get it. It's just a matter of how the league responds. And I think I'm in that camp at this point. I think somebody's going to get it given all that we have heard about coronavirus, just probability and things would indicate, yeah, somebody's going to get it. So it's just a matter of like what the league's response is there. Those are a lot of questions that they have to answer. I wonder if they'll make public, I assume that they will, what their protocol would be should somebody test positive. I don't think that if somebody gets it, they necessarily have to shut it all down. So it sounds like they've got enough testing. Lack of tests hasn't really been a huge issue nationwide. Is there a plan in terms of like the frequency at which they're being tested? Has that been announced? I I don't think it's been officially announced. It sounds like it's going to be close to daily. You don't want somebody's off day to be the day that they get it and start spreading it. Did you Um, get tested for coronavirus? I have been tested for coronavirus actually. Imagine having to go through that every day. Have you had it? Yes. And it's like- It sucks. (laughs) It literally sucks. Like it's so bad. Imagine having to do that every day. I would, I would be very upset. Obviously, I think that they should, and that yeah. if they're going to go through with this. That's something that has to be involved as well. But like, man, <laughs> and it's like 15 seconds out of your day. So it's just like every day you're gonna have 15 awful seconds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I, I don't mind like the finger pricks or like shots. Sure, yeah. But those things don't really bother me. But like. Getting that Q-tips just shoved up your nose. So I actually went to go do it in Lowell. It's like a drive up and they don't do it for you. They just hand you the Q-tip and they say, all right, go to town. And like, I know I had it deep enough because like, 
I was just like involuntarily snorting. I was like, <laughs> I have many flaws, but like, I'm not a wuss and I could barely do it. Like I had just like had that thing up there and I was like, <laughs> I, like my nose was just involuntarily trying to get rid of it. It's awful. Like watching Dennis Scanner get it on his Twitter. It was fun. It was just like, it was a reminder that like, yes, like daily testing, very important, but like, it's going to suck. To have to do that every day yeah. is going to be awful. Yeah, to your point about, you know, people testing positive. I agree with you that it's probably going to happen. I will be kind of curious to see, like, does the NBA, like, change anything? They can't, I don't think. But, like, would it be different if a bench player got it or if LeBron got it? Would they treat it differently? Like, I, I don't know what the answer is. It, it feels like they can't, but it also simultaneously feels like they have to. So, I don't think that their protocol will be any different. Like, I'm sure it'll be the same thing. Like, okay, player who tested positive has to go into quarantine for X number of time. But I am wondering whether, say, LeBron got it, they would be like, okay, we're going to put this series on a little hiatus while LeBron <laughs> is in quarantine. Whereas if a bench player got it, it'd be like, okay, we're going to continue the series as yeah. scheduled. Like if LeBron tested positive and had to be sidelined for three games, that's a big deal. But I mean, at the same time, it's like, I agree with you that they, like, they need that. But like, I mean, if LeBron twisted his ankle... It's not like you could be like, well, like let's let's postpone the series for a week while LeBron gets better from his ankle, so that it's like so yeah, because of the competitive that's, advantage. I feel like that's we're now we're going down like the asterisk question. Like I feel, I feel like <laughs> we're back. <laughs> I feel like an injury is different. That's not a factor introduced during this pandemic time. That could happen any series to anybody. Whereas right now, like we're under special circumstances and they're trying to make the best of it, type thing. We, we're not going to go down this path. Though. We're not going to go down this hole. I'll be curious to see what happens. I think that it's comparable. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the Celtics a little bit. Are there any like sort of under the radar things that you're really looking forward to see with the Celtics? So, I mean, I guess besides the obvious, which is Jason Tatum's rise and Kemba Walker's first deep playoff run, presumably, I'm curious to see the bench whether they will still continue to be at similar production levels or maybe the bench might be a little bit stronger, especially because their bench is comprised of relatively young, inexperienced players like Grant Williams. So it's like, okay, he's going to be on the playoff atmosphere for the first time, but it's not a traditional playoff atmosphere and that might work to his advantage. Maybe he won't be as phased and maybe this time off with Kemba and this time working will prepare him and have him be ready because too, another thing with rookies is like, the amount of play in a traditional season compared to their college season is like the number of games just ramps up completely, but now they have this little break and that he can sort of really rest. And just in general, like this isn't true for just the Celtics, but for all teams, how has the break affected them? Is there yeah. no impact? Is there some impact? Is it good or bad? I think it's hard to say because we have no idea who's in shape, who's been working. Everyone says they've been working, of course, four pack now. So it's three months. Like a lot can happen yeah. during that time. So I, I am really glad that it's, that it's not going to start for a while that like, they weren't like, Hey, let's like, let's get this thing going as quickly as possible. They're like, no, like basically like every player who is coming back now know has known and will know for almost two months that they were going to have to play basketball again, starting on July 31st. Like that's, that's enough time to like, to well, at least get yourself closer. And obviously there's going to be training camps. That'll help too. They'll have a month of individual work and then yes, exactly. a month of teamwork. Like that seems like a fair timeline. Yes. Yeah. I think that's really important. And, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see that that's, that that's going to be the case. <laughs> I think I, what I'm most interested in is like how this, like what the Celtics path is going to look like. 
I was thinking about this the other day. If you're the Celtics, would you rather face Philly round one, Toronto round two, or Miami round one and Milwaukee round two? I think the Celtics would piece the heat. I think they want to put off Milwaukee as long as possible, but I guess under these funny circumstances, maybe you want them early before they get into like a groove. But I think that they would still take the Sixers route because unless the Sixers, I mean, you never know. That's the thing. Like the Sixers first round is really risky. I think Miami or the Pacers would be an opponent where the margin of error is a lot uh, bigger. Like the Celtics can afford to sort of work out a few things. Whereas Sixers, if they're, they're fully functioning. The Celtics are going to have to be like fully functioning too. Yeah, they are. Which, is, which would be interesting. So I, I think that they would still take the Sixers and then the Raptors just because the Bucks. I mean, you have no reason to doubt them at this point. Like, So, so the reason I, w- I would consider the other route is like, okay, so on the one hand, Philly is interesting because they've only been good at home this year and they're not going to be at home during the year. So like that would be like obviously a case to want to play them. The thing for me is that the Sixers – have these advantages that the Celtics just don't have an answer for. Whereas I feel like Miami, I know they like added a couple of guys, but I just think that like the Celtics match up with Miami so well, they just can really punish the heat with their wings and with, and with all their, you know, their offense from the perimeter, like the Sixers, like, like you don't know if they're going to come back in shape. You don't know if they're going to come back hating each other. You don't know, but like, they're such an unknown. It would be such a disaster for the Celtics if they lost in the first round. The, but the thing is, it's like, okay, if the Sixers come back in their worst form, which is possible. Like, I feel like the Sixers are the Certainly most, possible. Like, the spectrum for the Sixers is the biggest right now of the Celtics' possible first-round opponents. If the Sixers come in together in their worst form, that will be easier than the Heat, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, that being said, if the Sixers come together in their best or anything remotely close to their best form, that will be a lot more challenging than the Heat. So it's Than like, the Heat's it's, best. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, significantly better than the Heat's no, best. Yeah. I agree, I agree. And so it's such a toss-up there, but... I mean, yeah, the Heat, like, I wouldn't write them off as, like, a sweep or, like, a necessarily easy win, but I agree that they might be a more favorable opponent for the Celtics then. I kind of do think that they might beat the Heat easily. I, I have a lot of respect for Eric Spolstra, a lot of respect for uh, Jimmy, <laughs> Jimmy Butler, Butler, Tyler Hero. Uh, the Heat have so many issues that, like, the Celtics can exploit. I just think that, like, it's so much easier for the Celtics to exploit some of Miami's problems. Whereas, like, the thing that you would be hoping that you can exploit against the Sixers is their team chemistry or, like, whether how in shape they are. And that's so nebulous. Whereas with the Heat, it's like, I know that Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum can blow by Duncan Robinson anytime they want. Okay, that's fair. I think, too, with the Sixers, it's like, okay, how can we avoid getting exploited ourselves? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, that's, yeah. like they have the capability and they have the weapons to fully do that to you if they are at their best. If the Celtics were to make a run, what would be, what would be the circumstances that you think would have to come together for them to make a run in Orlando? So Kemba's knee, I think just Kemba's health in general – conventional thought would assume that he is okay now because he's had that extended time and they all the media availability we had before the break was it's not a long-term thing it's just something that he's been nursing so you would think that the rest would help there but that being said I think Gordon was the one to mention to us it's a little bit different because you can't really get treatment during the time off it's mainly just rest yeah. So I'm curious whether that is just goes into sort of what Kemba's knee requires. But regardless, the point is that he needs to be healthy for sure. Yeah. What's one for you? Kemba's the big one, I think, for sure. 
Mine's a little bit less. Like, I think it's really important how Shemi Ojale plays. Um, and I single him out because I, it's really important that they get some contributions off the bench. This is not a Jan, he needs to guard Giannis thing. I think that he, he could be in the playoff rotation. He just, like, he needs to make threes. <laughs> like, he just needs to, like, hit threes. And if he does, I think he's going to play, like, a, a pretty major role during this run. And if he doesn't, we'll see what happens. And I think this past season, we've seen sort of the best form of Shemi. Like, we actually saw him make threes and make shots. And in the past, that hasn't always been the case. He's been just a force on defense, obviously. But then on offense, he's sort of just like a non-factor. But this year, he was making... And and he's always shot like 85% from three in like practice when we're watching him. But yes. (laughs) There, There are indications, though, that he might be able to do that this year. For sure. And I mean, we've seen him do like a little bit of extra stuff too. Like he's, he's not like that. He's going to be taking guys off the dribble one-on-one, but like, you know, he can attack a closeout. So I, you know, I think that he's, and I think that for him too, I mean, it would be huge for him if he could just have big postseason run, because there's going to be a lot of teams that look at him when he becomes a free agent and just say like, could we use like this six foot seven guy who's built like a Greek statue and can like, you know, kind of guard Giannis. Like, so I think there's going to be a place for him in the league, no matter what. But like, if he shows like some offensive stuff, I think that's where he starts to look at like, maybe not like a, you know, a huge paycheck, but like some real money. Like I think he could could pay him. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's, I think somebody's going to pay him if if he can uh, prove that kind of thing. So I'll be really interested to see what happens with Shemi. I think that this is an important stretch for him. And I think he has a chance to, uh, to really play himself in. You, uh, you have one more, uh, one more thing you're really looking forward to here? I mean, you touched on it with Shemi. Like, their bench, like, you've got to get something from them. Like, there were too many games in the regular season where they would just score, I think, like, four points total, one point, zero points. Like, there was a bad stretch. Brad's eight-man rotation here, it's probably Grant, Shemi, and then... Mom, Wanamaker will be in there. Uh, like Rome- but, yeah, I mean... Might be Romeo. He might get some minutes. I mean, I, and there will be like, you know, bigs kind of floating in and out. Tice clearly has earned the starting role at this point. But like, you know, we'll see. Cantor played some decent minutes against Embiid if they, if they end up there. Um, and Rob and, presumably is healthy now. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a good one. Like, how do they, uh, you know, how, how do they juggle their bigs? And I mean, it's like you can say all the right things about kind of like going matchup by matchup during the regular season. But like, you know, during the playoffs – that's not always as easy. And, and, you know, there might be like a series where Cantor gets a lot of burn and then, you know, there might be a series where he doesn't. And like, I think that that can be tough for a player in the postseason. If obviously you play a big role in one series or you like, you know, you don't play a role in one series and then you are expected to play a big role in the next one. Like that's not always easy. So I think that'll be uh, interesting to watch too. Nobody on the Celtics really has an ego, but the players that might have an ego aren't in that position where I feel like last year, the guards and the wings were all fighting for time and that proved to be a little bit dramatic. Whereas now that's not the case. (laughs) You know what I mean though? In terms of playing time, like I feel like that it's going to be something that Brad and the coaching staff is going to have to figure out, but it's not going to create any sort of like problem. Well, I mean, I think it's big. (laughs) I think the, the roles are just so much more clearly defined this year, even, even though they shifted throughout the year, and that just really helps. You know, that, that's very clarifying, I think, for, for, for players. All right. Nicole, uh, you got anything else you want to touch on here? No, I mean, it's exciting that basketball is back. We sort of expressed that excitement last episode, but now it's real, which is good. Yeah, I'm excited to see the new format. I wish that this wasn't the, the situation. I wish that we were going to get to see, like, like, I wish that if we were going to get to cover this, I would like to go to Philly. I would like to see, like, 
I yeah. love being in Philly and watching, you know, I Celtic mean, Sixers like, in person. It was so much fun. You, uh, are you thumbs up or thumbs down on pumping in 2K noise? Oh, thumbs down. Terrible idea. Yeah. Like, yeah, if they, if they do that, it's going to be corny and stupid and they'll, they'll regret it like instantly. Like, I bet if they do it, I bet they stop it after one game because it's just going <laughs> to be weird. Um, that, I mean, that will be interesting to see what they do with the sound and things like that. I am like, I still am bummed. I get why, and I'm not advocating for us to go, but I still am bummed that we won't get to watch just because like, even before the virus shut everything down, even before like the new media rules and stuff, like you reach a point in the season where it's like, okay, we know what the Celtics are like, and we sort of know what this team is. I can't wait for the playoffs. Yeah. And it just kind of sucks that we won't get to see that in person because those are like the best moments are the playoff runs. And I am already starting to think about like writing stories and assignments and things like that. And it's just so different to just do it from your home. I don't know. I'm not to like, this is like the smallest violin I will play for myself, but you know (laughs) what I mean? Like it's such a bummer. Yeah. It's, it's going to be strange, but hoops is coming back. All right, guys. Well, we'll leave it there. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to anybody who has given us a, a rating or a review or who, is, who subscribes to the pod. We definitely appreciate it. And I think I speak for both me and Nicole when I say that we are really excited to do a podcast about actual basketball instead of a, about a pandemic that we only understand about 60%. So, but we, will, we are going to do a podcast on Epstein, which we also only understand at least <laughs> 20%. Oh, I, I think that I don't think anybody understands that more than about uh, 30%. But yeah, definitely appreciate you guys all listening, and we will talk to you all on Thursday. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.